0: This is Phil Davidson, and with me today is Rockford Symphony Orchestra Music Director Yaniv Attar, and we are discussing the RSO's first Pops concert of the season, and that's Yaniv's salute to Boston Pops. I love Boston Pops. (laughs) Me too. This coming Saturday, October 21st at 7.30 p.m. at the Coronado Performing Arts Center. Welcome, Yaniv. Thanks from for your having wild me. Wild flight from Seattle. Yes. Good
1: to be back in Rockford. <laughs> the Boston
0: Pops. Well, it's an American icon, it's an American tradition. Maybe some people don't aren't aware. How did it all begin and then give us a reminder on the famous directors?
1: When I heard that we're now returning to the Pops after a long period where we didn't have Pops concert, I thought it would be a wonderful way to start uh, with how Pops really started in this country. For a while, it's been on the table that there needed to be something else uh, for classical concert. Um, I think it was 1880-something, maybe 82 or so. And somebody suggested. They said, you know, we need some concerts that will be lighter in nature, because um, by then you had all the, you know, heavy romantic symphonies, and there was the need to maybe open classical music to wider audience. Um, and then at eighteen eighty five, I think it was the first time that that the Boston Pops uh, was created mostly from players from the Boston Symphony Orchestra maybe not the principal but a lot of those players I think the whole idea was again to open symphonic music to people who maybe not normally go to a symphony concert uh, and at the beginning I, I want to say it was maybe a little rocky because they had I think 17 different conductors oh my uh, I don't even I couldn't even tell you who they were <laughs> before uh, the another icon Arthur fielder came. And stayed with the orchestra. I fifty years. I fifty believe. years. Yeah, yes. I. Think it was 50 I. I, years. I. I wasn't sure, but that is a long tenure. And something that started as a Boston thing, he really made the orchestra an icon through recordings, through performances throughout the country. I mean, they are really who they are, thanks to this man. Um, so it's it's it feels really appropriate to make this tribute to him.
0: Well, of course, another famous conductor is somebody we'll be talking about here in a few minutes, and that's John Williams.
1: Who also conducted them for a few years. Yes,
0: yes, indeed. Well, uh, the first selection in Saturday's concert is Overture to Die Fledermaus by Johann Strauss, Jr., or do you call him Younger, or do you call him the
1: son? He was known as the Waltz King. How so? Yeah, be- before, before you uh, uh, we go into that, I just want to like mention one of the things that uh, the format that R2 Fiedler did with his concerts, that there was always uh, three elements to the concert. There was the classical portion, all the light classics, there was a concerto, and then there was the light music, musicals, movie music, and all that stuff. So this is why we're starting with Strauss, and uh, I mean, I'm sure you'll talk about what's coming next... But uh, yeah, Strauss was the definitely the king of waltz, as you mentioned. <laughs> I think he wrote almost five hundred. Uh, Says
0: over five hundred well, over five hundred yeah.
1: waltzes. Uh, I mean, when he wrote something, uh, everybody in Vienna went to hear it. He was like, you know, the greatest hits. People wanted to hear, and um, you know, there's no shortage of these. But uh, the real establishment of the Viennese waltz, as we know it, and the tradition around it comes from his music and he definitely earned this title fair and square <laughs> yeah, boy sure and and of course he wrote
0: other things besides waltzes i mean right i i, I was uh, interested to see that he wrote polkas and right. uh well i'll get into this in a minute operettas
1: yeah and and all the i mean but these waltzes are in everywhere like in the operetta. I mean, right you can't have strauss <laughs> without a waltz
0: and then he wrote something called the Blue Danube. <laughs> yes, uh,
1: bit, maybe you've heard of it. <laughs>
0: Die Fledermaus is is actually an operetta. Uh-huh. So, uh, give us an idea of the theme or the story of this piece.
1: You know, I was I, sh- I have to say I am not an expert in operas. So I was trying to, to to every time I try to read plots of operas, I get I get a headache. <laughs> 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 They're always so complex. But but when you look at operettas, usually the theme is a little bit more comic, is a little bit more simple, and the general idea without going into too much detail, there's this costume ball and somebody's throwing a prank uh at somebody at that ball, which he becomes eventually the laughing stock of Vienna, and there's lots of you know, drinking and lots of waltzing and lots of songs, good ending at the end. So it's not it's not one of those operas where you have, you know, the tenor is trying to, is the evil person who's trying to uh, uh, kill someone. And it, it, you don't get that in that. It's it's much more light. Uh, in a way, it was, you know, the musical of, of that time. Um, that's what people wanted to hear. Well, then people are going
0: to have fun on yes. Saturday. Yes, yeah. That's good. Well then we follow uh, up. The next piece is 3 Slavonic Dances by Dvorak. Right. I suspect he wrote a
1: lot more than just 3. Yeah, he wrote uh, actually 16. So there are two uh, two sets of 8 dances that he wrote. He was encouraged by by Brahms to write those. And Brahms Brahms knew what he was talking about because one of the thing that made Brahms so popular at this time was the Hungarian dances that that Brahms wrote. And they were written, the Brahms one, as the Dvořák one, they were written for piano originally, uh, or for, forehand uh, piano, because think of it as this, at that time, if you wanted to listen to music, uh, there was no CD or Spotify <laughs> or iTunes right. and all that. If you wanted music in your home, you had to play it. <laughs> and these were extremely popular because every house had a piano and in every house people wanted to play music. And this a lot of the fame of these conductors in every household was through through these dances. And we're very fortunate that Dvořák took the advice of Brahms Uh, He wrote those for piano, and later he orchestrated them.
0: Now, I was reading, this music, you want to say it's inspired by Slavic folk music, but I guess it's really something else, isn't it?
1: Well, there are a lot of uh, folk music elements in it, in them. But none of the music that you hear, even though it sounds very Slavic, they are all original melodies um, um, that that Dvorak came up with. He's not quoting um, mm-hmm. anything, which I think that's why it's so genius because they sound so... Li- like a melodies that you've heard all your life and that you grew up with. But then again, they're so original. Um, the rhythmic elements... Uh, is thing that he uses specifically from folk music and Slavic music of his country.
0: I think there's some musical themes from Bohemia in yes, there too, of as course, I,
1: as, as I well. Of course, it's it's very what's the word, vajacek? I don't know if I yeah. can
0: say that. Easy for you to say, right? <laughs> well, what would a, a a salute to the Boston Pops be without a performance of? Rhapsody in Blue by George Gershwin, and particularly now, because this is the centennial year for yeah. that. And uh, I, I was reading that early in his career, he moved to Paris, mm-hmm. and he was hoping to study sort sort of in a, a classical way with a couple of well-known people there, but that didn't exactly work out. What happened?
1: He always had this uh, 2 side in him, because he, he loved jazz, and he loved blues, and he loved swing. And he was really good at it as well, but he was also a classicist in nature. So he went to Paris, and he he wrote to a lot of composers, wanting to study with them, uh, like Nadia Boulanger, who was the biggest figure in in uh, classical music. If you wanted to be a serious composer, you had to go to her. Um, and you know they all rejected him, mm. partially because they they felt that their classical training will interfere with his tendencies, with his jazz influence. Mm. Uh, He wrote to Maurice Ravel, and I love the quote that Maurice Ravel gave him. He basically said... If you study with me, you're just going to become a second-rate Ravel. Why become second-rate Ravel when you can be a first-class Gershwin? I love that yeah, sentence. That is, that's uh,
0: great.
1: Because it was very clear for for somebody who didn't have the studies that you expect from a composer, he was so much self-taught to have such an incredibly unique voice. So yeah, that, that didn't work out, uh, but we still got treasures from him like Rhapsody in Blue. And interestingly... Mm-hmm. The Boston Pops Orchestra was the very first orchestra to record the complete version of "Rhapsody in Blue" in 1935. Wow! Yeah, but we're definitely
0: not going to hear the complete version. No, this thing. is the complete. We're doing is the complete
1: it? version. Yeah, I mean, oh, the recordings great. that recordings that you had before were part of it, or they were cuts and oh. for different reasons. But the Boston Pops was the first one to uh, that's to do the uh, you know yeah the complete version.
0: Also, while he was in Paris, it wasn't a total loss. He wrote something called An American in Paris. There there. you go. (laughs) So, which makes sense. He was in Paris. Right. So uh, what led Gershwin to compose Rhapsody in Blue?
1: Uh, This is one of the funniest stories that I read about this piece. So one day, I think his brother told uh, uh, George Gershwin, he said, you know, I saw this ad in the paper, and it said that uh, there's a concert, it was called An Experiment in Modern Music, and that you wrote a concerto for it. And Gershwin was puzzled. He called the conductor, Paul Whiteman, and said, Mm -hmm. I haven't wrote any concerto in my life especially and it was advertised as a jazz concerto, and was, you know, and it was five weeks away. And oh. uh, Whiteman said basically, uh, well, we talked about it 18 months ago, and of course Gershwin didn't remember, but he was being a good sport about it. And he said, look, I cannot write a concerto in five weeks. Why don't I write something that will be more of a freeform, kind of a rhapsody uh, that we can do? And also, by th- at that time, he wasn't a very experienced orchestrator, So he just said, I'm just going to write the piano part and, you know, you deal with the orchestration. So he wrote this piece in three weeks. Oh, my God! One of the masterpieces of American music. In three weeks, he produced the uh, piano parts, the one for the orchestra, but in a piano version and one for the solo. And Grofé, one of the uh, resident orchestrators, basically finished the orchestration which was originally for a jazz band, not for orchestra, a week before the premiere. That's how fast it was. Uh, And later after that, uh, Graffa did another arrangement for a symphony orchestra, which is the one we know today. Uh, But yeah, it was was this year. Lots of orchestras around the world are celebrating uh, the centennial, 100 years since the premiere. So um, I thought this is something we have to do in our first pop concert. How would you
0: describe Rhapsody in Blue? I mean, it's it, it's certainly more than jazz.
1: It certainly is, uh, because I think, especially in America, I think Gershwin was really the first one, because there were others in Europe before him who did that. But in America, he was the first one to really combine classical elements and jazz and blues elements and swing of it a little bit in such a cohesive way that it sounds almost natural that this Mm has always been the way. I think one of the nice things about Rhapsody in Blue, even though it has so many themes in it, the whole thing, even though it's so structured and organized, sounds completely spontaneous and as if both the orchestra and and the piano are having a conversation improvising it's so spontaneous it's so organic i think that's part of the beauty of it and it just flows beginning to end it's in one movement just beautifully and, and that's one of the things that makes it the the big masterpiece that it is
0: i will certainly look forward to hearing it <laughs> me too well any discussion of the boston pops has to include a tribute to john williams absolutely just has to <laughs> And he was the conductor from 1980 to 1993. Mm -hmm. Give us an idea of which of his musical creations we're going to hear.
1: This is basically a medley and a very clever one. It was commissioned, I think it was 2014, around that time when John Williams was awarded the Kennedy Center Mm -hmm. honor. Yes. They did this as a tribute to him, and they took all these themes from Star Wars and Superman and, and Jaws, Harry Potter... Etc. And made it into a. Um, it's almost humorous uh, in a way because the move from one theme to another is is done so cleverly. Uh, and I remember watching it a um, long time ago. I was in Florida with my family and watching it, and I was like, "Wow, this is really a fun piece." I, n- I never thought I was going to conduct this, but you know, John Williams is just one of the most incredible composers we still have. I mean, he's still alive. And the incredible music that he has right. written and and the influence he has on American music. And it's, of course, contribution to the Boston Pops. Like you said, we couldn't do a concert no. without paying a tribute no. to this incredible, incredible musician and composer. When you go
0: through a list of what he has written, you say, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize he wrote that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you discover new ones. Right. Another composer featured by the Boston Pops was Leroy Anderson. Mm-hmm. And I believe that Arthur Fiedler really brought him to the forefront. Isn't that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, they were, they were close friends. And Anderson, a lot of his works were commissioned and premiered with the Boston Pops. And he wrote, actually, a really large number of, of works. Many of them are beautiful miniatures. And he had an incredible talent, one— to write earworms that you cannot forget. It's genius, the melodies that he wrote. On top of it, he is a fantastic orchestrator. Every one of his little miniatures are really jewels. And he wrote some serious music. He has a beautiful piano concerto, for example, but his miniatures, I mean, and there's so many of them, are really masterpieces. Leonard Slotkin a few years ago recorded, I think, most of them, if not all of them. Each of them is is like a whole world on its own. And I I I thought it would be a wonderful tribute to bring some of his miniatures in a set. We're going to do five of them.
0: Yeah, you chose uh, the typewriter, Blue Tango, Jazz Legato, Forgotten Dreams, and Summer Skies. Right. Why did you choose those particular ones?
1: It was kind of hard to pick. I could have chosen any of them. Uh, they are all wonderful. <laughs> those are the scores I had in my library. So I was like, these are wonderful. I'll take them. But I would have exchanged those with any of the mm-hmm. others because really each one of them is so fun and beautiful and gorgeous melodies and the orchestration is so much fun. Uh, they are really fun to play and the audience love them.
0: We've talked about these great composers and conductors here, but we're not done yet. Nope. Some of the best music ever written for a musical is uh, from Leonard Bernstein's West Side Story. Absolutely. And the Boston Pops has featured quite a bit of that in their concerts mm-hmm. and recordings. And I believe the story, I think some people probably know this, but I believe the story is Loosely, anyway, based on Romeo and Juliet.
1: Yeah, that's correct, and it was, you know, so famous in the uh, when it was made into a film. Mm-hmm. And then I haven't seen the new one. There's another right. movie that yep. was Very maybe good. a year ago. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen it yet, but I uh, mean, the music is just phenomenal. Bernstein was not just one of the greatest conductors uh, in the 20th century, but also one of the greatest composers. Right. Um, not just in musicals, but also he wrote fantastic symphonies, really fun to be able to present his music. West Side Story is really a masterpiece and some of the most beautiful melodies in it and intoxicating rhythms. And, and it's it's uh, that would be a wonderful way to pay another tribute to this uh, Boston Pops concert.
0: What selections from the musical are you go- going to feature?
1: We have, of course, Maria, I Want to Live in America. Mm-hmm. There's lots of themes from it and okay. and the most famous one. And it's done in a very well and organic way, so it's, it's a great medley.
0: Well, then the final piece is uh, Ernest Gold's Boston Pops March. Now, I have to tell you, I was, I was not familiar with Ernest Gold, and I certainly wasn't familiar with the Boston Pops March. However, I read that he did the music for the movie Exodus. Right. So that comes back. What else can you tell us about Ernest Gold?
1: He was, I believe, Austrian-American.
0: Yeah, I believe so, yes.
1: And, I mean, he was he was clearly a genius. He wrote his first opera at the age of 13. Oh, my. <laughs> and, but, you know, even back then, when they asked him, what do you want to do, you know, when you grow up? And he said, I want to compose in Hollywood. Oh. And so he did. And he, uh, at one point, when when the Boston Pops was, I think, recording... One of his soundtrack for a movie, Arthur fielder you know, asked him, "Would you write something for the for the Boston Pops?" And he was so touched uh, because by that time they were such an icon, and he said, "I wanted to write." Uh, fun march uh, for this this great orchestra this great yeah. organization this great uh, uh, living thing so he was really honored and he wrote this really fun boston pop march and i thought that would be a wonderful way to close the concert you know it's like send people home with a nice tune with a nice march that'll close it off well i think uh, i think so too and you also have a guest artist on saturday we do. The pianist for Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, his name is Christopher Guzman. Uh, I've known Christopher for a very long time. We were classmates at Juilliard. He used to teach at uh, Penn State, where I was music director of the Pennsylvania Chamber Orchestra. Invited him to Bellingham. He played with uh, in Pennsylvania with me, of course. And he recently got a new job here in Illinois. He is the new piano professor at Northwestern University. Oh. And uh, I thought, okay, that that would be great because he he really owns the piece. He plays it so well. People are gonna love it and love him. And he's a wonderful, wonderful guy.
0: Are you doing sound bites?
1: Not for the pops concert, but we have lots of activities around this concert. One of them is Friday from 4:30 to 6:30. We have a happy hour. I will be there, and Chris will be there at Randy's Music. And you can just pop in and out, and there'll be drinks. So uh, that'll be really fun, and an opportunity for you to meet the artist. Um, and then um, on Saturday, we have a family open dress rehearsal, so families can come and listen to the rehearsal. And at 2 p.m., there's a instrument, a string petting zoo. So kids could come and they can look at all the instruments and try them out. So we have lots of activities surrounding this concert. Uh, I encourage everybody to look, go to the website and you can find everything around about it.
0: That sounds terrific. And what a wonderful variety of great music during your performance on Saturday, which is called Yaniv's Salute to Boston Pops. Absolutely. I can't wait. The Rockford Symphony Orchestras, this is their first Pops concert of the season, and it is this Saturday, October 21st, at 7.30 p.m., of course, at the Coronado Performing Arts Center. And if you need more information about the concert, and if you need tickets, get them now. Go to RockfordSymphony.com, or you can call 815-965-0049.
1: This is Phil Davidson. I'm Yanivatar, Music Director of the Rockford Symphony Orchestra. Thank you for listening.